It's a blessing to know what happens at death, to know what follows death, to know the, the hope that we have beyond this life. Do you have that hope this morning? It is available in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Maybe some of your Bibles fell open to Romans. Uh, we will be back there next week. I promise we'll get back to chapter 6. We have some important things to say. Um, I know it doesn't mean a lot when a preacher says this, but I, I, I decided to do this in hopes that I could do it in a little bit shorter time since we have nine baptisms. Cindy said, yeah, right. Uh, but we mentioned in a, a couple weeks ago Jesus' baptism, and we talked about when we were talking about union with Christ and talking about the Father's words over the Son applying to us as well being in the Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Our identity, our union with Christ. So I thought this morning since we are having baptisms in the service that I would go back and just put a little more, uh, a few more bones uh, on that, uh, a few more meat on the bones of, of Jesus' baptism for us. Um, obviously, it won't be an exhaustive sermon on these verses, but just to give us a little bit more information and, and understanding of John's baptism and how that points to our baptism through Christ. So if you'll look in, in Matthew chapter 3, it'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. And I'm going to read from uh, verses 13 to 17, and we'll look then at, um, at that text. Actually, I'm going to back up to verse 11 and read, and then we'll look at 13 to 17. But this is John the Baptist speaking here in verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. He tells us what his baptism is all about. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, with salvation and judgment. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. Your spirit must apply your word, so we pray for that. May your spirit apply your word to our hearts that we might either come to faith or grow in grace. Lord, your will be done. Empower me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Lord, empower us to hear it in the power of the Spirit. Grant us to be alert to it and attentive to it. Wake us if we're drowsy. 
Help us to focus and hear Your Word and know Your Word and come to faith or grow in grace or at least have gospel seeds planted, Lord. So we bow in Your presence, recognizing this is the Word of God that we are about to look at and listen to, seek to understand. We pray for Your Spirit to bless the preaching and the hearing of the Word that our souls might be pointed to Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was John the Baptist's message, recording in Matthew 3, 2. His central message was repentance. And repentance is a necessary element of a relationship with God. See, this call went throughout the Old Testament through through many different uh, people, especially the prophets, calling on Israel to repent and turn back to the Lord, to repent of their idolatry and their wandering and their half-heartedness and turn to the Lord where mercy is available. And John, being the greatest of the Old Covenant, prophets comes preaching repentance and practicing a baptism of repentance God's people needed repentance but they also needed atonement their guilt needed to be forgiven they needed someone to deal with the guilt of their sin and that if you want a summary of the Old Testament it's Jesus And all of those sacrifices, bloody sacrifices, were meant to show the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of our need of a Redeemer, but to cover, they didn't, the blood of bulls and goats could never cleanse sin, but it covered and pointed to the one to come, the Messiah, the hope for Messiah that would come and deliver His people. So those Old Testament sacrifices portray the removal of sin by the death of a substitute. And they pictured the coming Lamb of God. What did John the Baptist say to his disciples that day? After Christ had been baptized, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. World for the Jew meaning Jew and Gentile. Right? That's world. In that context. See, the the Old Testament ceremonies also used water as a symbol for washing and cleansing from sin. Notice I said symbol. Water never washes away sin. But it was used as a symbol of the cleansing and washing away of sin. Same thing here. This water, just like when we participate in the Lord's Supper, it, it stays bread and juice. It's used for a holy purpose to point us to Christ on whom we feed, this water points us to the blood of Christ that cleanses us from sin. But that's how John was using the water and the baptism as a symbol of that repentance that was needed in preparation for the coming Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. If you've read your Bible, you may have read in Isaiah 40, Verse 3, that there's a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight 
the paths of the Lord. Prepare for the coming of the King. We're told that John is that voice. John is the fulfillment of that. And he comes crying out for repentance. And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Messiah is coming, John would say. And I call you to repentance to prepare for him. And then suddenly, there was the Messiah standing before John. Jesus coming for baptism. Why? What does that mean? It's what we want to talk about this morning. So in light of the baptisms today, we'll go back and dig in this text. And it's just, this is a different sort of sermon, but just the thing I want you to come away holding on to after this sermon, Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for us in His sinless life, in His sacrificial death, like, so that we in Him are the righteousness of God. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for us in both His sinless life and sacrificial death. And the us there is not every one of you. I'm not judging you. I don't know which ones of you are trusting Christ this morning and which ones of you are not. But it would be silly for me to assume that you all are. The us there are believers, those who are trusting in Christ. We have the confidence, not because we're anything, but because of God's grace. He has worked faith in us and brought us to Christ. You repent and turn to Jesus, and this will be true of you as well. For the believer, Jesus fulfills all righteousness in both his sinless life and sacrificial death. Jesus is the source of our cleansing from sin and clothing in righteousness and having that new heart that will faithfully grow in following him. Look back at this text, John's objection to Jesus' baptism. It says in verse 13, verse 13, if you ever speak for a living, just go ahead and get used to it. Things are going to go crosswires sometimes. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. See, this is intentional. To John with a purpose, to be baptized by him. But look, John doesn't get it. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. Listen, Jesus, this is not what I expected you to do. I know you. I know who you are. I'm expecting you to come do different things than this. What are you in the world are you doing here? Listen, that objection makes sense, right? Because John, if you, if you knew Jesus was the Messiah... The righteous one, the Lord, our, all, that, all that expectation in the Old Testament, you would not be expecting him to come for baptism. John says, I need to be baptized by you. See, John knew himself. He knew he was still a sinner, not perfected yet, not glorified yet. If anybody's going to get baptized, Jesus, it needs to be me. Let's do this again, right? He knew he was sinful. He knew Jesus was not. 
And it didn't make sense to him. John's baptism, remember, was a baptism of repentance. It was a call to repentance and preparation for the coming Messiah. It was a symbol of forgiveness and cleansing to those who repent. That's a promise all throughout the Old Covenant as well. That God has mercy on those who turn to Him from sin. But the Messiah needs no repentance. He needs no forgiveness. He's the sinless Savior. So John is perplexed, and maybe you've been perplexed by this text. John's question in his mind is, why are you coming for baptism? You can clearly see that in what he says. Listen, if if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have a lot of times like this when you say, Lord, I don't get this. This is not how I thought things would turn out. I would not have done it this way. You know, the old anonymous saying, I don't know who said it. If you gave me God's power, you would see how much I would change. But if you gave me His wisdom too, you would see how I left all things the same. Now that's hard to say for some of us who are going through the deep waters of struggle in this world. But this world is a difficult place to live. But His grace is sufficient for us. But John is perplexed. He doesn't get it. He doesn't know why Jesus wants to be baptized. He needs Jesus to tell him why he wants to be baptized. So thankfully, he does that. Look in, look in verse 15. Look what Jesus says. He didn't rebuke him for not knowing. He just said, let it be so. John, trust me. Let it be. And then Jesus says, it is fitting. It is fitting. It is proper. It is fitting for me to be baptized. And I'm sure the wheels are still spinning in in John's head. Now look at the next part. It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Wow. Write that over a caption over Jesus' life. Fulfilling all righteousness. Righteousness. Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness and to do it for His people by identifying with them in every way yet without sin. Jesus is truly God and truly man in one person, two natures, one person forever. Therefore, He can represent God to us and us to God and reconcile us and break, bring us together. See, John fulfills the Old Testament prof- prophecies of the coming Messiah. But Jesus feel, fulfills the Old Testament prophecies as the Messiah. You want a fascinating study? Go look up all the prophecies of the coming one in the Old Testament. There are lists in the back of your Bible to help you with that. The odds are impossible for him to fulfill just 10. (laughs) And there's some 300 or more. Predictions. Like Isaiah 53. Listen, maybe you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Maybe you're Jewish. I don't know. Go to Isaiah 53 and read it. And you'll see that it reads like a newspaper account of Christ and His dying for our sins and being raised from the grave. 
Jesus fulfills every expectation, all prophecies for the Messiah. He is the one who would both live to fulfill all righteousness for His people. He was born at just the right time under His own law. And He came to fix what the first Adam had broken. We've seen that in, in Romans, right? Adam and fell in the garden and we all fell with Him. And we, Adam, yes, sinned, but we've all sinned in Him. So we've broken God's law and thought, word, and deed. None of us has kept it perfectly. And listen to me, if you would save yourself this morning, you will have kept God's law and thought, word, and deed perfectly since you've been born until you die. And I'm not peeking in your windows, but you have not done that. Neither have I. But Jesus was born under His own law for the glory of the Father and the plan of redemption. He fulfilled that law in thought, word, and deed. He never sinned once. He deserved only blessing. So He is the one who fulfills all righteousness for His people. And indeed, when we come to faith in Him, His righteousness is credited to our account. But see, we not only need that, we need forgiveness and cleansing. So though He was the perfect... Remember, it must be a spotless Lamb of God. Right? Old Testament? He was the spotless Lamb of God. He deserved only blessing. Why would, why would He be baptized? Great question. Why would He die? Can you feel the weight of the confusion of the disciples when He died on that cross? This is the Messiah. Why is He there? Because He came to fulfill all righteousness and He has done that. He has kept the law perfectly. Now, He provides atonement. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. See, if you're being right with yourself and, and, and if you're not justifying yourself, you'll know that you stand as a sinner before God. And the Bible says that being a sinner, we deserve condemnation. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. Jesus sweat drops of blood that night in the garden because He knew that cup of wrath He was facing for His people. Why did the Messiah die on the cross? To pay the penalty, to, to satisfy justice for the sins of His people. So He lived for us. He died for us. And it was all over and we've been preaching about it ever since. No, 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 no. It wasn't all over. He was under the power of death for a time, but then he blew the door off the tomb. Not that he might get out, but that we might see that he is risen. And he appeared to his disciples and was with them for over 40 days after his resurrection. And at one time he appeared to over 500 people at one time after his resurrection. And this is reliable historical account. Imagine 500 different people from different families having the same hallucination at the same time. Rather silly, right? See, that's what proves the gospel is true. That's what proves what I'm telling you is true this morning. That's what proves you need a Savior. Is He not only lived for us and died for us, but He was raised from the grave and ascended into heaven and He's reigning. He's coming again someday. Listen, you might not like me. A lot of people don't like me. Some do. One or two do. Why? But I'm telling you the truth. You will stand before Him someday. Are you ready for that? 
Are you ready to give an account for your life and say, I kept your law and thought word indeed, let me in. Better not be. That ain't true. Bad grammar, but good preaching. Um, my hope is you. Your blood, your righteousness. No other claim. See, Jesus fulfilled all righteousness by keeping the law where we had broken it. Broken it. He satisfied justice in that way. And then He satisfied it by tying on the cross and paying the penalty for His people's sins and proved it true by raising from the grave for our justification. And here's the, here's the thing. He offers that salvation to you as a free gift because He has paid for it. You can't clean up your life before you come to Jesus. We say silly things, don't we? When I was a teenager, I said, well... I'll have time for that when I'm old. Right now I'm having too much fun. I'm thankful for His mercy. That He didn't give up on me. Christ, the Scripture says it this way. Now let me, let me, let me back up one time. Go, go look in your Bible and look at Genesis 3.15. In the very beginning, don't do it now. Genesis 3.15, the very beginning of your Bible, right after the fall, God promises to send one who would crush the serpent's head. He would be bruised on his heel, but he would crush the serpent's head. He would suffer, but he would win. And all through that Old Testament, it's pointing us to Jesus who would come and be the one who fulfills all righteousness. And then he comes and says he's the one who's going to fulfill all righteousness. And then he demonstrates that by keeping the law and thought, word, and deed, by dying for his people's sins and by being raised from the grave. And Paul reports in 1 Corinthians 15, remember Paul's story. He was Saul. He was trying to destroy the church. But Jesus converted him so that he became the apostle Paul, preaching the gospel. And he says, knew the Old Testament better than anybody. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is. That Christ, the Messiah, that's Greek for Messiah, right? Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. That Christ, the Messiah, died for our sins. Now look, in accordance with the Scriptures, in full accord with everything the Old Testament predicted, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Everything the Old Covenant predicted that He would be. So John is saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus is saying, I am that king who brings in that kingdom and I do so by fulfilling all righteousness. So that as John later would say, behold the Lamb of God and send His disciples to follow Jesus, Jesus identifies as that Lamb, as that king, as the one who will fill all righteousness. So Jesus condescends to be treated as a sinner because He's identifying with His people. And He's baptized, which foreshadows His cross. And all of that was done for us, His people, those trusting in Him. So that the fulfillment of 2 Corinthians 5.21, which I want you to memorize. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Look, He knew no sin. He was righteous. He kept the law and thought word and deed. But He made Him sin. Does that mean He made Him a sinner? No. But He took our guilt upon Himself and paid the penalty for our guilt 
And why did he do that? That we might be forgiven, yes, but that we might in him, look at this, in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness that God required. Not as God's inherent righteousness, but the righteousness he required of us as create, created by God. Our responsibility is to obey him, love him, enjoy him, keep his commandments in thought, word, and deed. We had failed. So Christ comes to save us. And because He lived for us and because He died for us and because He was raised for us and because He works faith in us that we might trust in Jesus and be hidden in Him. You see that in Him? Remember that? So that in Him, shorthand for union with Christ, His children now become the righteousness of God. We, don't, we have to remind ourselves that every day. We don't wake up believing this. We wake up hardwired legalists that need the gospel and we need to remember that so that we... Don't seek to be legalist during the day. In Jesus, if you're trusting in Him before the throne of God, you're righteous. Now here's what, we're, here's what we're scared to say. You are as righteous as Jesus is before the judgment bar of God if you're trusting in Him. Because your righteousness is His righteousness. Remember, it clothes you. That's our justification and then we grow in grace. We'll talk about that later. Now look at the result of John's baptism right quick. I know I'm moving fast, but I told you I was going to try to. Jesus consented, so John baptized him. And watch verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So what are the results last of Jesus baptized? Look, first thing it says, the heavens were opened. That's interesting language, right? The heavens were opened to him. Symbolizing that the way is open to God. When he dies, what will happen that will symbolize the way open to God? When he dies on the cross... I kind of wish I had a video of the priest on duty that day. When that veil in the temple, thick, thick veil, was rent from top to bottom. The way has been opened to God. Heavens were opened and the Spirit descends upon Him and rests on Him. Why? Isn't this the Messiah? Isn't this the Son of God? Isn't he God and man? Why would the Spirit have to come rest upon him? Well, remember, regarding his human nature, he is the second Adam, fixing everything Adam had broken. For those of you who are wondering, go back and listen to the sermons we preached in Romans and you'll get more context for some of this stuff I'm saying. I just don't have time to do it all this morning. But he, Jesus himself says this in Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me. Christos, Greek, Christ, anointed one. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Captive, what kind of captives? Captives in sin. And recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus carries out His public ministry as the second Adam, the Messiah, the Savior who was to come in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus fulfills all righteousness in the power 
of the Holy Spirit. See, we're, we're, this is with respect to his human nature. He was always indwelled by the Spirit. There's always that uh, mutual indwelling between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus was always indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But now he's equipped to fulfill all righteousness as our prophet, priest, and king. The three anointed offices in the Old Testament, again, those point forward to the coming Messiah. So heaven's opened before him. The Spirit descends upon him. And John says, if you read, if you read John, the Gospel of John, not written by John the Baptist, but the Apostle John, it says John says that that was, the, that was the, the manifest evidence that this was the Lamb of God. The Spirit descended upon him like that. Jesus is equipped. And then the Father speaks. This is one of a few times when you hear a voice from heaven in Scripture. My beloved Son, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God is well pleased with His Son, and He's well pleased with all who are in His Son before His judgment bar. And He's transforming all who are in His Son to be like His Son. Much bigger study, but we're, we're going to move on. So Jesus submitting to baptism shows us these things. He fully identified with us as our representative. He didn't need baptism. But he fully identified with us. Our salvation includes both his life and his death. He didn't just come from heaven and pop on the cross and die and go back to heaven. All righteousness had to be fulfilled. And that righteousness is credited to us as well as the flow of the death so that we're cleansed. So he fully identified with us as our representative and his salvation includes his life, death, and then resurrection. Without the resurrection, listen to me, if you're not believing in Christ this morning, without the resurrection, this is a foolish game we're playing this morning. If Christ was not raised from the dead, we are wasting our time this morning. What explains the transformation of Saul to Paul? What explains the transformation of those disciples from a huddled, trembling group of scared men into those who would stand before the world and give their head for the truth of the gospel? What explains the transformation of a hellion like me into a preacher? God has a sense of humor. He makes in, introverts preachers. It's because Christ was raised from the grave. It's because this gospel is true. And therefore, number three, it, it shows us the necessity of our repentance and faith and our ongoing as Christians repentance and faith. You know that faith is simply our entry into a life of repentance. We don't check a box when we come to Christ. We repent and have faith and that's it. And we, no, we enter into a world and into a life of repentance and faith through Christ who came to fulfill all righteousness. A couple of points of application and then we'll move to the baptisms. Because of our union with Him, Jesus' baptism pictures our salvation in Him. Pictures our cleansing from sin through His blood. Pictures heaven now open to us. Shows us we have the Spirit in Him. We live in the pleasure of God. We are in the beloved Son, so we are beloved children. In our New Testament baptism, which we will celebrate today, is a symbol of that union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. 
Number two, because of our union with him, our baptism points us back to his baptism and all that it represents. Death. Death. He atoned for our sin uh, by dying for us and we died to it with him. And when I say we died to it, it's coming from our recent study in Romans. If you go read Romans chapter 6, you'll see that we died to sin. What that means is it no longer is our ruler. We've died to its reign. If you're a Christian, you've died to the reign of sin. It can't make you sin. And you're growing in practicing righteousness if you're a Christian. Because of our union with Him, our baptism points us back to His baptism and all that it represents. Death. He atoned for our sin and we died to it. Life. He is our righteousness and we are raised to new life in Him. We are now dead to sin's reign, alive to God's reign. We now live in His glorious kingdom and growingly for His glorious kingdom. He, Jesus, is our King, our Savior, our Messiah. And just as it was Jesus' delight to do the Father's will, so that now because the Spirit indwells us, those who believe in Him, it's our delight, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put a slash, it's our delight slash fight. Faith is a fight in this world. While following Jesus is a fight, right? But His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. He gives us everything necessary for life and for godliness. Christ not only was baptized for us, but He lived for us in fulfilling all righteousness. He died a perfect death for us, paying for all of our sins. And he was raised on the third day, proving it's all true. And all of those given to him before the foundation of the world will believe this message and turn to Christ and receive the salvation that is in him. John's main theme became Jesus' main theme. If you read over in Mark 1.15, Jesus says this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you for your mercy. We do thank you for... A full, sufficient, and to us free salvation because Christ has lived for us and died for us and been raised for us and is reigning for us and is coming again someday for us. And when He does, the work will be finished. When He appears, we will be like Him in glory. Thank you. Thank you that As long as we live in this life, we as believers have the gospel to encourage and strengthen and assure us and to proclaim to those who don't know you that they might come to this faith in this Savior who is risen, the Lord Jesus Christ. You save all who come to you in faith. You reject none. You invite. In fact, you command, Lord, on the basis of you giving your Son to live for us, to die for us, and to be raised for us. You command all men, all women, all boys and girls everywhere to repent and trust 
in your Son, our only Savior. I thank you for those coming forward for baptism today who have made that profession of faith, that they are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that we have all ages coming forward today to make that profession. Lord, you are at work in the adults here. You are at work in the young adults here. You are at work in the youth here. You are at work in the children here. You are bringing people to faith and growing us in grace. And it is your work of grace. You are doing it, so we simply, in humility, bow and praise you for it. We pray for those who are baptized today that none of them are hoping in this water to do any work, but that all of them are hoping in Christ, in His shed blood to cleanse sin, in His perfect righteousness before a holy God, that, that we are cleansed and clothed in Him, and this water points us to union with Christ, that through faith we have been united to Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. So let us look through the water to the Son who came to fulfill all righteousness and help us to believe that we have been united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection and help us to hear Your promise in it that all who trust in Christ are cleansed from their sin and clothed in righteousness. And you will preserve them and see them all the way home. So we do these baptisms today on the basis of a profession of faith and we celebrate your work of grace in these lives. And we thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I pray that some, even watching these baptisms, might be convicted of their sin and might turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I pray also for the rest of us who have been baptized not to check out, but to see and be reminded and refreshed in the fact that Christ died for us and was raised from the grave and that via our union with Him, we died to sin's reign and were raised to new life in Him. We've been forgiven and cleansed from all of our sin and clothed in His righteousness. So encourage and empower your church. Convert and save the lost. Sow gospel seeds. Do what only you can do this morning. We obey you in baptizing those who have made a profession of faith. And we give you praise for it. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.